The scripture this morning is Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaves do not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is God's word. morning. If you would turn your Bibles to Psalm 1, which we've just read together. Let's say a word of prayer before we begin. Father, we're thankful to be gathered here together in your presence for your purposes and pray now especially that you'll bless your word to our hearts by the power of your spirit. And may this be a time that we look through the window of your word and see something of your glory. Uh, We ask in Jesus' name. He was born in San Francisco. He lived part of his life in England. But we here in Vermont, New Hampshire, We claim them as our own, and I'm speaking of Robert Frost. In that great poem, I thought of this poem as I was preparing this lesson, that great poem of his, The Road Not Taken. He concludes that poem with these words, I shall be telling this with a sigh, somewhere ages and ages hence, two roads diverged in a wood, and I... I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Psalm 1 speaks of two roads, two ways. It speaks of the way of righteousness, and it speaks of the way of ungodliness. Now this, of course, is a poem too. And I will this morning be preaching uh, from the King James Version for a couple of reasons, but the one I want to share right now is that I read it in several translations, and the poetic expression of the King James just really struck me. And the Bible that I'm using, I'll give you a little bit of a background, this is the very first Bible I ever read. When I was eight years old, I was going fishing, in the river, uh, All Glades River, outside Delphus, Ohio, and uh, with my brother, and I came across some clothes and things that had been thrown away, and I went through them, and I found this Bible. And this Bible has been with me ever since. Wherever I've lived, I've always carried this Bible, and I know what day I found it on, because I wrote it in the front. It was March 27, 
1966. And wherever I've been, I've had this Bible. I've carried it with me all these years, even though for a long time I didn't read it. I didn't pay any attention to it. But yet it's been a constant. Whatever home I've been in, that Bible has been there. But I've never preached from it. So now I get to add that to the list of what this Bible meant to me. So I'll be preaching this morning from the King James. Two roads, two paths are clearly set forth in scriptures. As to the boundaries of those words, those paths, I won't go into great detail. Uh, but it's made up of those who believe, those who exercise faith in Christ, those who depend upon God through the Holy Spirit to work within their lives, the way of the righteous, and those who do not believe. You know, Jesus taught over and over again, in fact, all Scripture teaches, but Jesus taught over and over again that there are two paths. If you go through uh, the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 7, he says there's a narrow gate, and then there is a wide gate. He said there's a narrow path, and there is a wide path. He talks about good trees, and he talks about bad trees. He talks about a foundation that's built upon the rock, and a foundation that's built upon the sand. You see, he speaks about two ways. And then you can broaden that out and look throughout Scripture, for Jesus talks about wheat and tares. He talks about good fish and bad fish. He talks about sheep and goats. He talks about those who were once born and those who were twice born. That is, they're born again, born from above. The once born, the twice born. And Paul even taught the same idea. It's found throughout Scripture. Paul talks about those who are in Adam, those who are in Christ. He talks about children of light and children of darkness. And I think you get the idea of what I'm saying and what Scripture is saying, that there are two paths, two ways, and these ways are set forth in Psalm chapter 1. Now, not everyone who travels these ways travel as far down them on either path. Not all everyone travels them in exactly the same way, but I still stand by that, that there are two ways, two paths, the way of the righteous and the way of the ungodly. And these two paths have something in common, and that is that both of these paths are walked by sinners. They're walked by sinners. The path of the righteous is made up of all those who are right with God. That's a good way of putting it. The path of the righteous is not that they're so great and so righteous in themselves, but they are made right with God through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. They pursue a righteous lifestyle, to be sure, but they are not totally righteous. Both paths contain sinners. The path of the ungodly is made of a ball who have not put their trust in Christ. Other translations, as we read this morning from the NIV, other translations use the word wicked a few times in this psalm. And I really... Uh, I know that that is a proper translation of the word, but I don't like the picture that the word wicked brings to our minds. That's why I prefer, again, the King James Version, which says the ungodly, or those without God. For we tend to think of the word wicked in the very worst ways. We think of someone who's wicked, we think of maybe a Putin, or we think of someone who's traveled far, far, far down that path, very publicly, and we think of those that we would 
deem as being wicked people. That's not what he's talking about at all. He's just talking about those who are not right with God. And some of those people contribute to society. They are what we would call good people. They are even people who attend church. They are sometimes our friends, our relatives. It's all those who have not yet received Christ. Now, someone might say, well, wait a minute now. Uh, Some of those people are better than you. And I would say with shame face, you are right. Some of them are better than I am. But yet at the same time, there is a difference between us. That by God's grace, I've come to believe. I've come to believe and to choose that way of righteousness. Now, I kind of want to begin the psalm really right about the middle. I mean, the ESV version, there's 52 words before it, and there are 72 words after it. It's almost in the middle, but it's with that word planted. They are planted by rivers of water. This way of righteousness is something that God brings about. God plants us on that pathway. It's not just something that we choose to do. I know from a human standpoint, there is the conviction of sin. I understand there must be repentance of turning away from the one path, embracing of the other. I know that there must be faith in Christ. But it is really a work of God that puts us on that path. I will give you one verse to back that thought up, and that is Isaiah chapter 61 and verse 3. For he gives us beauty for ashes, an oil of joy for mourning, a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that we might be trees of righteousness, a planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. We are on that path because of God's divine power. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, for salvation itself is of the Lord. It is God who has planted us on that path. And in that, we can take no credit ourselves. We can't stand in both. Well, look at me. I'm such a righteous person. I've done so many things right. I'm on that path. No, we give all glory unto God, for God is the one who plants us on that path. I sometimes shake with fear at the thought of my life if God had not intervened and how far down that path of wickedness, yes, ungodliness, that I would have gone. But God in his grace intervened in my life as he's intervened in your life and he's planted you on a path and to him and to him alone be all glory for our salvation. Now I'm going to say just four things real quick. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on these, but I want to just say first of all that this path is a focused path. That is, it is a focused life. For he says, on his law doth he meditate day and night. Now, I would be not true to the scriptures if I didn't look first before I look at the focused life, say a few things about the unfocused life. For he says, blessed is he who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, that standeth not in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. That is the unfocused life. And I want to just spend a few minutes, I want you to know that I'm not picking on our young people, but I have a burden for them. 
And I just want, if they're listening in or here present, I want you to understand something about the unfocused life. Because what you see in these verses is a spiral downward. What happens is, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't listen, but there are a lot of messages coming to you. They're coming to you through social media. They're coming to you through your friends. They're coming at you uh, through people in authority, and much of that is good, but some of it isn't. Some of it is contrary to the word of God. And so we have to be very, very careful because we have to be careful what we take into our hearts. When he says that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, what he's saying is not that we don't listen to what they say, not even that we don't consider what they're saying. And be respectful. Yes, we are to listen and we are to consider what we are hearing. But walketh implies taking it into your heart. And I'm going to show you what's going to happen or what does happen. I know from my experience, the experience of others, and especially from Scripture, what happens if you begin to walk or take these things into your heart? The next thing you know, he says, you're standing with the sinners. Now, it doesn't begin all at once. Maybe you just put a little big toe over the line, and now you got most of you, you're standing on the path that you've learned in the church, learned from godly people. But before long, what you're doing is you're standing in both paths, in both paths. And so you become one thing to your friends. You become another thing to your parents or to the church. And if that continues on, then you finally find yourself sitting in the seat of the scornful. And what that means is you will reach a point where you're filled perhaps with guilt, uh, begin to feel that you must justify yourself. And what you begin to do then is you begin to mock, maybe not outwardly, but you begin to mock the things that you've learned, the things that you've been taught. And I want to encourage you, don't look down on the counsel of godly parents, godly grandparents, godly people within the church. And if you hear something and you're disturbed by it and you're wondering about it, please speak with someone. Sit down. Talk with them. They won't judge you. They won't put you down. They will help you work through it. They'll help you reason through it. For our desire is to see uh, you walk, not in the counsel of the ungodly, but walk that focused life. Now, the focused life. Thank you for listening. The focused life. Here, when he says he meditates in the law day and night, the law is not to be understood strictly like the Ten Commandments. It is the whole revelation of God. And we look at it through the eyes of the New Testament. We understand the revelation of God through Christ Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it says here that he meditates in the law both day and night or meditates in the revelation of God both day and night. Now, meditate is something more than just reading a scripture. As that is necessary, or you can't meditate on it. You have to know something about the Word of God. But meditation implies deep thought, an application of the truth to our lives, to praying over those scriptures, to using the Word of God as it was intended. I'm afraid a lot of people look at the Word of God as an end within itself. They want to gain some more knowledge. They look at the Word, but they fail to look through the Word. 
And that's where the meditation comes in. For the word of God is an instrument, it is a tool, it is a necessary one, but it's not an end in itself. The end is the honor of God. The end is a glimpse of God. The end is a deeper, deeper relationship of Christ. The end is the working of the power of the Holy Spirit. And the one who meditates on the law day and night is the one who's looking at these things, applying these things to their life, chewing them over, meditating deeply on them, but allowing them to guide them into the presence of God. It is a good practice to read the Word of God But it's a better practice to read it with prayer, to read it with thoughtfulness, to read it with reflection, to read it in such a way that you apply it to your life and to the world around you, and through it all to see something of the greatness and the glory of our God. It is a focused life. It is a path in which our focus is upon God, and we meditate on his word day and night. And then I would say that also it is a path in which we flourish. Isn't that what he says in the third verse? He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall... Whatever he does will prosper. Now, I don't believe this is just strictly speaking of material prosperity, although that is included. There are those that God blesses in a material way, but he blesses them for a reason. As Paul would say, don't put your trust in the uncertainty of riches, but put your trust in God and be ready to be helpful, to reach out and to meet needs. With the material prosperity comes great, great responsibility to use that in a godly way. But I believe that he is speaking primarily about spiritual prosperity, in that we walk the path, we indeed will prosper. You know, the Apostle Paul said, having nothing, and yet I possess all things. I love that statement. Having absolutely nothing, Paul said, I don't have a thing, but yet at the same time I possess every single thing that I need, even though I do not have it, yet I possess it. When I look at this word rivers, and I've used this verse before, but I'm going to use it again because it fits here. When I think about this idea of a a life in which we flourish, I remember what Jesus said in John chapter 7. You remember it. He says, anyone, it doesn't matter who you are. He said, anyone who is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. For from his innermost being, out of his belly, out of his soul, out of his spirit, from his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. But this he spake concerning the spirit. For the spirit was not yet given, because Christ was not yet glorified. But the spirit has been given, Christ has been glorified, poured out the spirit. And now we have all this spiritual prosperity within us as believers. For from their innermost being, from their innermost being, shall flow rivers of living water. And those rivers have names. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, meekness, faith, self-control. Such an abundance within that it flows outward into the lives of others. It's not a problem-free life, but God sanctifies our problems for his glory And for our own good, it is a life that does flourish. 
despite the troubles and trials and problems of life. It is an inward prosperity that no, no one on earth can buy, but it's freely given by God, freely given unto people like us, weak people, people often confused, people who are prone to going astray. And yet God, in his great grace, enables us to flourish. And then I also will point out that it is a fruitful life that bringeth forth its fruit in season. You know, no matter what the world may think, this world needs Christians. It does. We, by God's grace, are those who seek to preserve what is right and good in this world. And when it says fruit, we're not always thinking of great, big, spectacular things, but the kindness that we give, the love, the concern, the prayers for others. That's the fruitful life. It's not a life that's lived selfishly under oneself, but it is a life in which we seek to bless the world around us. In the small ways, yes, small ways, but yet small ways by God's grace that have a great impact on the lives of other people. And then I'll conclude with this thought that it is a future life. Verses 4 through 6. The ungodly are not so, but like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. The Lord knoweth the way of the righteous. Now that word knoweth uh, means to look upon with love and with regard. To look upon with love and regard. He, God knows all things. He knows all people, but he especially knows his people. He knows who we are through and through. He looks upon us with love and with regard, and that gives us a glorious future. And when I'm speaking about future, I'm not just talking about heaven, although I'll say something about that. I'm not just talking about heaven. I'm talking about the future that begins right now. The Lord knoweth our ways. The Lord is with us as we walk. We walk with him. We talk with him. And that's not just a song we sing. That's a literal fact. We walk with God. We talk with God day by day by day towards a glorious future. And we one day will stand before God. You know, the Christian will be in judgment, but they won't be under judgment. For there's therefore now no condemnation. Right now, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You know, when we walk this path, a lot of times we tend to walk in our little groups. And I'm going to let you in on something about this pathway of righteousness that leads us on to heaven. And that is, there, there's not going to be in heaven any Baptists. There's not going to be in heaven any Presbyterians. There's not going to be in heaven any Methodists. And you can name whatever group you want to name. None of them are going to be there in heaven. Because when we get to heaven, all those distinctions are going to melt away. And all that's going to be in heaven is believers and lovers of Christ. And we shall see him. And it even says in the Bible in some measure and way that we'll be like Christ. 
and live and reign with him forever and ever and ever. And I'm telling you something, that is a pathway I want to walk by God's grace. I walk with faltering steps. I often stumble in the pathway. And I'm thankful for those who have reached out and picked me up. For we walk this path together. We're not in competition. It's not a foot race. But I'll tell you what, we need one another on that pathway. We need each other's encouragement. And I just want to conclude by just asking, what path are you walking today? Don't walk. Try to straddle both paths. It won't work. You'll be miserable. You'll be miserable. You know, only the heart given over fully and completely unto God is a heart in which dwells the peace and love and joy that needs to be there. Two paths. The way of the righteous, the way of the ungodly. As for me, I've made up my mind. I have decided which path I want to walk. Thank you.